Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's passage comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 25, verses 1 through 10. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed of who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Avarilla. Thank you. Everybody who helped us with worship, we are into the first Sunday, the second service of our new series entitled Psalm Writing for the Season of Lent. And I've already heard from some of you, uh, the season of Lent and Ash Wednesday service is brand new. And uh, if that's the case, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. And I will try throughout the season to explain a little bit more and more. For example, you have perhaps heard of people giving something up for Lent. Here, we've given up heat for Lent. (laughs) And that's working beautifully so far. I'm really sorry about the heat thing, y'all. And I'm very grateful to JR for helping us to find space heaters to make it warmer in here and in the kids' areas and in the atrium, and also grateful to, yes, that's worthy of a woo, absolutely worthy of that. Also grateful for Matt, who continues as our our executive pastor to chase around plumbers. I mean, we really thought we had this thing solved on Friday. And uh, we passed a, a pressure test and all that kind of stuff with our plumber, but then ONG with the zero tolerance policy, and I support it. I support the zero tolerance policy. They found little bitty leaks. So the good news is we don't have a huge leak. The bad news is we may have, I don't know, several thousand little bitty leaks. And uh, so we'll be working on that, and hopefully we'll be up to speed for this next week. But people do talk about giving something up for Lent. And sometimes it's, it's as simple as fried food. Uh, which may not be simple for some people now that I think about it, or sugar, or coffee, or something or other. Some people uh, will give up a habit for Lent. I've, I've tried to say to you, listen, if you have a terrible drug addiction, uh, yes, give that up. That's not really what I mean for a Lenten observance. Go ahead and give that up. But you give something up so that you will miss it. Fasting. We'll talk more about this as the weeks go on. You give something up so that you will miss it, and in missing it, 
will remember what you're doing. And here's what we're doing. This is the project of the season of Lent. It is to look at yourself and look at Jesus and confess the difference. And I don't know about you, but there's some difference between John and Jesus. And you confess that difference over the season of Lent so as to close the gap. And there's lots more to it, but for today, let me say, when you give something up, when you have a Lenten fast and you give it up and then you miss the thing that you have given up, that at least reminds you of the project of the season of Lent, to look at yourself, to look at Jesus, and to confess the gap. So it's something of a mnemonic device. A mnemonic device. Now, uh, you know what makes really good mnemonic devices Music makes really good mnemonic devices. And this psalm, Psalm 25, is, I'm saying mnemonic. Some of you think I'm saying demonic. I'm not. I'm saying, helps you remember, mnemonic device, all right? Music makes for a great mnemonic device because, and you probably know this, music has a way of getting inside of your imagination, getting inside of your thinking without your even knowing it, sometimes without your permission. It can even get all the way into your soul and you find that you know something without trying to know it. Do I have, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of an experiment here and I need you to, to participate, y'all, okay? How many of you are familiar with uh, the... <laughs> I think they were one-hit wonders. Maybe they weren't, but they were called Tommy Two-Tone. Anybody remember? Okay, I bet you remember this song about Jenny's number, right? Right, right? So the song was released in 1981, but I think it has a little bit of a shelf life, and we're about to test my theory right here, all right? Now, I'm going to say the first three numbers. You say the last four. Everybody with me, right? Eight, six, seven. (laughs) That's better than I could have hoped. Tommy Two-Tone wrote this song about Jenny and a phone number that he found on a bathroom stall. I kid you not, there is some question as to whether or not Jenny was real. He says that she was real. Jenny actually says she was real, but lots of people says no, not real at all. But this song has crept into our consciousness and our subconsciousness. Does that make sense? I mean, how many of you sat down and said, whew, I don't know what else I've got to do today, but I've got to find some time to memorize 8675309. You didn't. It just sort of happened, right? It's a good time for me to ask you, what songs are you letting in that then become a part of your conscious, your subconscious? What songs are a part of your soul? Lots of other songs, though, serve as mnemonic devices. You have probably heard of this one, the ABC song, written in 1835. Now, I might just be dumb, right? But I didn't realize until this week that the, the the melody of the ABC song is the same as that of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and Bob, Bob, Black Sheep. I was blown away by this. Anybody else? Okay, all the music people like, duh. Yeah, okay, well, <clears throat> I did not know that. Lots of songs, right? There's a periodic table song. There's a song about the nifty 50 states, Do, Re, Mi, right? Those are ways of, of learning things. Not only is this a song to help you remember, but these are instructional mnemonic devices. It turns out music is a pretty good teaching tool as well, right? I mean, Hakuna Matata means what? It means no worries, y'all, for the rest of your days, as a matter of fact, right? If you are new to Oklahoma City First Church, a couple things. First, we typically have heat, and, and not with the second, the pastor loves the Lion King. 
So this psalm, Psalm 25, is a mnemonic device meant to instruct. You, you may not be able to tell it, but this is a religious song meant to instruct. And they probably used it on some of the youngest of the people of the religious community because, I don't know if you know this, but young people can actually learn songs. Like, here's one right here. Go tell it on the mountain. Up and go tell it on the And Jesus by his mom. Right? Even our kids have the capacity to learn these songs. Now, it's super important that we teach them well <laughs> that Jesus bites his mom. No, that's not exactly how that goes. But this would have been one of those songs that was used with the youngest of believers in the hopes that it would reach all the way inside of a person's soul such that when consciously or subconsciously the need would arise, this song would have come to mind. This song would have come to mind. Let me, let me ask you again, what songs are you letting in right now? I, I'm not, I, this is not a diatribe against rock and roll music, because I think God can use rock and roll music too, amen? Anybody else out there? Okay, four of you. <laughs> but I would say it does matter. It does matter what you're listening to, what you're letting all the way in. This song is an acrostic. Each verse starts with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Again, because it is an instructional song, a mnemonic device. But I want us to catch what it is that they were teaching their children and their adults to sing in the hopes that it would somehow take up residence in their minds and their hearts and in their souls, because I suspect that this also should be taking up residence in our minds, our hearts, and our souls. Verse 1, to you, Lord, I lift up my soul, could have been translated, I lift up, I offer up my life. The, the image that we have here, and thanks again to Jim Smith for giving us our whole look to our whole series, that's exactly what this verse has in mind, right? Now, that is a literal posture, but it also means something figuratively. This is the singer singing, everything I am, everything I have, I offer up to you, God, because I need you to do something with it. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not my, let my enemies exalt over me. Verse 3, do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. There are people who are criticizing the singer. The singer is having a difficult life because, of course, <laughs> All of us that someday will face pushback, criticism, critique of one kind or another, and sometimes it's unfair, and sometimes it's not. The singer is singing, God, help me. I don't want to be put to shame, but I definitely need some help here. I need some, some teaching, some schooling. I need to be an apprentice somehow. Help me when I sin by missing the mark. Help me when I sin by falling short. Help me when I sin by rebelling. Help me. Take me on as a project. That is the gist of the song. God, take me on as a project. Shape me. Verse 4, make me to know your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait 
all day long. Now this, to me, is my favorite part of this song. Be mindful of your mercy, Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Okay. What the singer is asking for here is that God would do for him or for her what God has been doing for the larger movement called the people of God throughout all of biblical history. And you can see it pretty clearly in a couple of different stories that God is doing something big and good and helpful with all life and all creation. The other passage I might have been able to preach from today is one of my favorites, and I know it's one of Jason's favorites too. It comes out of Genesis, and it is the conclusion of the story of Noah, the ark, and the flood. God has essentially hit the reset button, right? <laughs> keep, in, keep in mind, this story exists in so many different traditions. And one of the ways that you can learn about our tradition is by studying the ways that our tradition's version of the story differs from other traditions' version of the story. And this part is unique to the religious, the Judeo-Christian understanding of this story after the flood. After the flood. Chapter 9, God says this. This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you, all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So part of this is going to be hard to hear. The bow was not originally seen as a rainbow, nice, multicolored, often situated amongst fluffy clouds. The bow here is a weapon of war. A weapon of war. And God seems to be saying, wow, there has been this mass devastation. And perhaps you see this mass devastation as God declaring war on all of creation. And God is saying, I want you to know something. I will never do that again. And so God takes this bow and if you can see the curved part up top, that means that the string would be on the ground. And you know what happens to a bow when the string, like a weapon of war bow, when the string is on the ground? Nothing. You've retired that bow if the string is on the ground. And God says, I have retired that bow. The string is on the ground. The singer is accessing that story and saying, God, the way that you gave them all, the way that you've given all of life another chance, the way that you have said, no, I will dedicate myself to you, not in anger and not in vengeance, but in support and in nourishing and in love, God, whatever you did for all of creation, I am praying right here that you would do it for me. Be mindful of that kind of mercy, Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. There's another story. Do you remember that terrible story? <laughs> when Moses left the people, they'd been liberated from Egypt. Moses leaves to go up on the mountain to talk to God, and it's apparently gone too long. Because then Aaron and the people said, well, Moses is dead. What are we going to do now? We better make ourselves an idol to protect us. And so they make an idol. God sees it, and God says to Moses, you know what? Your people made an idol. Makes me really mad. I'm thinking about wiping them out. I'm at least thinking about leaving. And Moses appeals to God and says, you can't 
do that. You're God. And actually, Moses says, what will people say? <laughs> what will people say about you? What will people say about us? In fact, Moses, long story short, says, God, yes, yes, they've messed up royally. And God, I'm asking you to take us back anyway. Now, in your Bibles and in my Bible, there may be some white space between those words, the words of Moses' request, and God's response. I, <laughs> I can imagine from Moses, that was the moment when God walked away, perhaps head in hands, to consider what has been asked of God. That must have seemed like an eternity. While Moses was waiting to see if that God from of old would still be that God, and sure enough, God comes striding back to Moses and says, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm going to take them all back, and I'm going to commit to them. And the word will tell stories about the love that exists between God and God's people, especially after they see that this God does have the capacity to remember them and all of the, not all of the ugly things that they have done. The singer is saying, God, like that, verse 7, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. That takes a special kind of love. I mean, you think about it. Think about the person right now who has harmed you the most or the most often. Do you have the capacity to remember that person without remembering that harm? Now, Listen, I'm not suggesting that a, a person abused should walk right back into an abusive situation. I don't, I don't mean that at all. There is a stewardship issue there. I don't mean that at all. What I'm saying is this God has the capacity to see you for something more than your worst day. Amen. This God has the capacity to see you as something more and something better than the worst thing you've ever done. The singer is saying, God, are you still that God? God, I'm asking that you would still be that God, the one that put the bow in the skies to say, I'll never do that again. The one who looked at this golden calf, but still ultimately said, I will choose you again. The singer who perhaps has failed time and again is asking, God, do you have it in you to do that thing again where you would look at me and see all the things that I've done, but finally remember me and not the things that I've done? Verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. God, I promise I will be teachable. <laughs> if you will do this, I'll be teachable. I will be humble and teachable. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his degrees. This is a teaching song, a teaching psalm. But learning is crucial where this song and psalm are concerned. A guy I really like to read when I'm studying psalms says this, learning is the subject of the prayer. There is a being taught not to be gained from human teachers and sources. It does not come from the work of reason, the compiling of information, the distillation of general experience. 
it must come from God because what this instruction does to and for human life, only God can do. The need of it is part of our dependence on God, so it must be the subject of prayer as it is in the song. The life of prayer is incomplete. Whoa, hear this. I, I felt this this week. The life of prayer is incomplete unless there are supplications that say, teach me, instruct me, guide me, let me know. Well, maybe it's just me. But I found my prayer life not quite measuring up to that. Because, and we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night, on Ash Wednesday. One of the things that we find hard to do as humans, especially as religiously minded humans, is to admit failure. I, I think, again, it's not anybody that goes to church here. They all go to churches at other places, right? It's not any of you, but I have seen a lot of Christian people who spend a lot of time hiding the ways that they are broken, hiding the distance between whoever they are and whoever Jesus is. I, I see a lot of folks who spend a lot of energy not confessing that gap and therefore not closing the distance. I am convinced I am convinced that there's a certain requisite level of humility that has to take place, that has to be a part of your inner makeup if you're ever going to be any more like Jesus than you are today. If you have any, any inclination to be more like this God we see in the face of Jesus tomorrow than you do today, at some point it will require you to say, I am not who I'm supposed to be yet. I'm not where I'm supposed to be yet, and God I need help, and I need the, the kind of help that only you can give. I can't give myself this kind of help. Teach me, instruct me, guide me, let me know. I have a friend who is a drug court judge, and many of you have heard this before. I'll never get tired of saying this. This drug court judge's name is Judge Stoner. You cannot make that stuff up. And he is not the only one who says this, but he is careful to say every time he talks about the hard work of recovery, he's careful to say this, relapse is a part of recovery. Now think about that. Failure is a part of success. Now how is that true? Because I don't know that that's automatically true, right? It's failure placed into the hands of one who can help us with that failure. It's relapse, and I've watched this happen. Sometime if, if you need a nice, encouraging afternoon, you ought to find out when Judge Stoner is doing a graduation ceremony in his courtroom. Now, what you may see, in addition to someone graduating the program, in addition to seeing the state drop all charges, in addition to seeing somebody's family just weep Ingratitude. You may also see somebody come before the judge and admit failure. And the judge's posture is phenomenal. <laughs> he says, hey, this is not okay. And you've done this before, right? You know there are consequences, right? Man, I want you to stay in this program and get better. And we will help you. 
And the judge will sometimes say to the person who has relapsed, relapsed, relapse is a part of recovery. Or at least it can be. To whom are you entrusting your relapse? To whom do you entrust your failure? I think the singer of this song would say, I'm, I'm going to mess up. I know me. I'm going to mess up. But God, I'm going to place myself, failures and all, in your hands. Let's remember, this is a song. This is a song that was meant to teach this was a song that we think might have been used with, yes, some of the older and the oldest people in the community, but also some of the youngest. Some of the youngest who would have lives full of two steps forward and one step back, two steps forward and two or three back. Youngest people who might have a lot of struggle in front of them. But the question is, how do we get better? How does the singer get better? How do we understand the pathway to being better, being more like Christ? We have to put ourselves in the hands of God. You have to put your failures in the hands of God. You must own and admit your failures, which is what all of you did so beautifully Wednesday night when you let somebody trace the form of a cross on your forehead. Those are very emotional moments for so many of us on Wednesday night, and thank you to all of you who were here. But you have to see your life against a larger backdrop of what it is that God is doing for the whole world, yes, for you, but for all who would entrust their failures and their frailties to this God. Well, what does it look like when something like this happens? I was going to show you another video. I decided not to. I decided to bring it closer to home. But does everybody know that as it has to do with Alzheimer's and, and dementia, one of the ways that doctors are addressing that now is through music. And I would encourage you to go find some of those videos where someone who's been suffering from Alzheimer's for a long time, like the one that I saw this week that really got to me was there was this ballerina who had so many decades before been a part of Swan Lake. And as soon as they played the music to Swan Lake, her body knew all of the movements. Isn't that amazing? Are you, are you catching the drift yet? If we sing the right songs, if we allow the right kinds of lyrics and the right kinds of insights to get in to take up residence in our conscious, but also in our subconscious, perhaps even our souls, then as we live our lives and we inevitably stumble and fall, perhaps that song does its best work then, then. But I have a story that's a little closer to home. This is my old philosophy professor. This guy, man. He was something else. By the way, long, long, long time OKC first person as well. Also helped start the program, the soccer program at Southern Nazarene University. This is Dr. Wes Harmon. Great, great, great guy. I probably still owe him some homework. <laughs> Just a great man. Great man. We watched him slowly deteriorate. And I got to tell you, we, we have the, the best pastoral care team, and Jason is just so good to go show up at bedsides. And as Wes deteriorated, 
Jason recognized that Wes would perk up and connect when Jason would read scripture and sing songs. And so it got to the place where Jason would take a musician with him <laughs> to go visit Wes Harmon, and they would sing songs. And without fail and without flaw, Wes Harmon knew those hymns because he'd let them in. And through practice, 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 through availing himself to the God who can get those songs in just so if you'll let God do it. Over a period of time, these songs took up residence in Wes Harmon's soul such that even at the very end, when he couldn't do much else, he could sing these songs. What songs are you letting in? A man by the name of Joseph Hart wrote a song all the way back in 1759. It's actually uh, enjoyed a resurgence here because of the likes of Amy Grant. But, and we've already sung it today, and we sang it Wednesday night. What if this was the song that reached all the way into your soul? Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you full of pity, love, and power. What if that was the song that reached all the way into your innermost being such that at the moment of truth, this was the song that came to the surface and not 8675309. I mean, what if this was the chorus? I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. And in the arms of my dear Savior, there are 10,000 charms. Listen. Confessing the difference between you and Jesus is hard work. And you can get different opinions as to how best to close that gap between you and Jesus. There are some people who would say, and we have had them here, and they have left here. People who would say, well, how am I going to be any better if I'm not afraid of hell and punishment? I would say the best resources available to us to be more Christ-like in the future than we are today, the best resources available to us are found in the arms of our dear Savior. Amen? I mean, don't you see that not just in the Old Testament, right? The bow in the sky. The God who chooses the people who had openly rebelled in the form of a golden calf. But don't you see it also in this Jesus character? Who would look at somebody who is red-handed guilty and say, I tell you what, rather than throw the book at you, how about if I love you? The woman caught in the act, caught in the act of adultery. Zacchaeus. The man who was crucified with him. John, are you saying that there is no judgment? Oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> 
You can look around and see the consequences of sin and sinful behavior all over the place. And I would tell you that that has something to do with the way that God has designed the universe. Yeah, there are consequences out there. And that same God who designed the universe said, come to me. Come to me. I will embrace you in my arms. And in the arms of this Savior, you'll find 10,000 charms. And I'm telling you, this is my testimony, there is more energy and resource here to move toward Christ-likeness than there ever was in threat or fear. A season of Lent can be a difficult season. I don't want it to be difficult, though, because you fear that God will someday have enough of you and finally wipe you out. I don't want it to be for that reason. The season of Lent may be difficult because you finally look in the mirror and tell the truth about who you are and who you're not and recognize that you have a steep hill to climb. And by the way, a hill so steep you cannot climb it without the help of the arms of your dear Savior. That's how you'll make it up that hill. Does everybody recognize that this too is something of a mnemonic device meant to trigger a memory that we hope, that we hope will awaken you to the very posture of God. If you're helping us today, go ahead and come on down. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and bless these moments. God, yes, it is a piece of bread. And yes, we will dip that bread into a cup but somehow in your hands it becomes so much more. And that is our prayer, that you would make it so much more than just bread and dips in this cup. That somehow, God, it would trigger a memory that could somehow shape the way that we live the rest of our days. Remind us in this moment, God, that you have loved us first, that you have loved us indiscriminately, passionately, Remind us, God, that we are living in response to that grace and not in a breathless effort to try to earn it. God, remind us that we can live in response to this grace and not in the desperate attempts to try and earn it. If you are visiting with us today, we do this every week. And here in a moment, what we'll do is we'll ask you to stand to your feet to exit your pews to the left, all of you who would participate. And by the way, all are invited, but none are compelled. If you would rather not participate, that is perfectly fine. But if you do want to participate, if you will in a second, exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, don't eat it just yet. Dip it into the cup. When you do, that person is going to say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And there you have it, broken body, shed blood. This is who this God is, the God who aches and bleeds for you. And then take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray. Now, it might be right back there at your pew, perfectly fine. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will understand you to be there for a prayer for healing. And somebody will meet you there. It'll be Pastor Jim over here, and it'll be Pastor Ken over here who will meet you for that prayer for healing. And it could be physical, psychological, 
It could be familial, relational somehow, and we will pray that prayer for healing and anoint you with oil. If you come to one of these mourner's benches up front, kneeling benches, we won't assume a thing, but we will at some point make sure that you know that you're not alone as you pray. And you'll notice we have these bowls of water. There are more of them. There used to be just one here, and now we have several. One, two, three, four in the front and one in the back. Let me tell you what these are for. These are for you to be reminded that you are baptized, that you have already been included. If you've been baptized, it's a great time for you to be reminded of all that happened in those waters when you were included in the most official of ways into this family known as the people of God who operate according to the mission and the purposes of God. You are included and transformed, I hope, by your inclusion in this people of God with purpose. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. And in the same way he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant and every time you drink of it, remember me. John, am I eligible to participate? If you recognize your need for grace, as I do, then you are eligible to participate. End of story. And so now, all across the sanctuary, all of you who would, please stand to your feet, exit your pew to your left, and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to shape the people of God.